This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Total Saints podcast. We're the weekly Saints podcast, your home for all things Southampton Football Club. Our podcast is entirely supported by our loyal Patreon community. Without you, we couldn't make the show each week. We'll have more information on how you can become a patron a little bit later. My name is Martin Stark and I'm joined by a man who made over 400 appearances for Southampton, played 40 times for his country and scored a couple of goals too. Former centre-back and Saints legend Klaus Lundetvam is our guest. Uh, Klaus, thank you so much for joining us. How's uh, how's Norway? Cold, I guess? Yes, uh, you're right. It's cold and wet. Uh, so, uh, typical uh, Bergen uh, West Coast weather in Norway, yeah. So, uh, but very, uh, very nice to, uh, to join you on this podcast and uh, always... Uh, link up with the club and link up with the Saints fans because that's uh yeah what would we be without the uh, supporters well absolutely we've got loads to talk about we've got your new business venture which people may have seen on social media so we're going to chat a little bit about that later as soon as we mentioned you were coming on we were absolutely inundated with people getting in touch saying Klaus is a legend and these are some questions that we'd like so there's loads of questions to get through I just wonder for anybody who's watching and listening who might not be as familiar with your time at the club as perhaps people of my age are can you just share a little bit about how your your time with Southampton came about I um, I grew up as a Liverpool supporter, as a Liverpool fan, because my my grandmother was born and raised in Liverpool, and she met my grand granddad uh, during the during the war. So uh, Liverpool was naturally my my side. So it was quite um, special that uh, the club legend uh, Graham Souness was the one who brought me to uh, Southampton. And this was uh, all the way back in 90, yeah, 96, September, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and obviously unbelievable to, uh, uh, yeah, it's like a childhood, childhood dream. Obviously, growing up in Norway and Scandinavia, watching the English football is, is massive. So 
when I was when I was there, um, I had two days training and, and straight in to uh, a debut against Nottingham Forest. So uh, yeah, I had to I had to learn quick, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a great move. When you made your debut, who was in that team? Who kind of like took you under their wing? Who put their arm around you and said, you know, this is going to be okay. You'll be all right. Um, I think all of them. Um, uh, I think one of the the strengths that I've learned being at the club for yeah over 12, 13 years is is the the, the sort of family oriented uh, approach to looking after each other. Um, and I think that was one of the the first things that I I really took in and 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 felt that every, everyone was there for for me as a new player. Even though I was a rival for for some players, I remember just uh, really uh, yeah really humble, uh, down to earth um, teammates that was uh, trying to make me a better player and. Uh, I had to learn quick because uh, what Premier League showed me, especially in the first few games, was uh, was a bit of a culture shock coming from from Norway. Um, everything went so much faster, and uh, yeah, the the ability, obviously, and uh, the physical side of it was uh, yeah. Uh, I had to learn fast to to uh, be able to uh, to handle uh, this league. Did you ever doubt yourself in those early games, those early weeks? Because, I mean, you went on to make over 400 appearances in the end. So so you, you obviously, you know, you took to it and you've got a great career. But back at the start, was there ever, were you thinking, maybe I, I'm not going to be able to do this? Or, or was it about your, your self-belief and your ability? Well, I had a very, very sort of uh, a strong uh, belief in, in myself and my ability, but uh, I have to admit, um, 10, 15 minutes into that game against Forest, um, I did feel uh, how the hell am, am I gonna am I gonna handle this? Uh, and when the game was so much faster and the physical side of it was just uh, immense, so I did, uh, yeah, not question myself, but I said I said to myself. Uh, I need to learn quick, and I need to, uh, yeah, do do things a lot, lot quicker than I uh, I used to. So uh, it was a it's a it was a steep learning curve from day one. Uh, but I could never, never have sort of imagined that uh, I was I was their club captain sort of twelve years later. It's a mad the amount of appearances. Um, I think over 290 of those in the Premier League. You went on to obviously captain the club as well. Joe says, um, what's your absolute favourite memory wearing the famous red and white? Is there one game that stands out for you or one moment? Maybe it was wearing the yellow. Yeah, actually, uh, the, the FA Cup final wearing uh, the yellow shirt at Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Yeah. Uh, that was special. Uh, I grew up with the FA Cup and the history of the uh, the oldest domestic cup, and then that was an unbelievable uh, day, unbelievable day for the fans, for the club, for everyone involved. To and and to to reach the final against Arsenal that day, um, yeah, it's 
it's right up there with the uh, yeah with the the best moments or the the sort of big moments in my uh, my career when it comes to games I just remember walking through the streets of Cardiff and there being yellow everywhere. Everybody was singing. Everybody was in such a good mood. And, and it was a really great atmosphere inside the stadium too. As a player, do you feel the same or is, is it a mixture of, of nerves going into a big match like that? Well, it's a bit of both. I I remember the semi-final actually uh, really well as, as well uh, at Villa Park uh, against Watford. Uh when everyone was sort of uh, dressed out and 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 that to to come and and reach the final in that game was also uh, a very very special game and an uh, occasion for for everyone involved. But the FA Cup final is is something that I'm I always gonna remember, and I do remember uh, half of the stadium being being yellow, and they they stayed behind for for like an hour. Uh, so uh, I, I just remember the appreciation of, of the fans, even though we we lost the game. It was uh, yeah, uh, one of those as a, as a football professional football player, you dream of being involved in in a game like that um, against mighty Arsenal. I have to say, at the time, I think that was the two thousand and three season when they were unbeaten so we were up against a good side but um yeah it was um something uh one of the games that i'll never never ever forget and uh amongst other uh big games obviously for Southampton we had a few great escapes uh, especially the first few years i was there uh i remember really well the Six three games against Man United at the Dell is one of them. So, uh, yeah, it's many to pick pick from actually. We also need to talk about Wolves away. And uh, and Dan says, was there ever a period playing for Southampton that you felt like you were never going to score a Premier League goal for the club? Did you ever feel you had the Benali curse? And what was that feeling like after scoring the goal? Obviously, I was taking a lot of stick from it, and uh, and uh, but it didn't really bother me in in the way I maybe it should have because I was a big strong center half and I uh, I should have scored more goals uh for me I think I was a a mental block that I switched off uh going in the opposite sort of uh yeah 16 yard box uh, I was defending my own box with my life but uh it was a mental thing that so to score that first goal at Molyneux, um, uh, especially against uh, Dave Jones and Paul Jones, mm, uh, yeah. was uh, yeah, I, I think I was in shock. Uh, so and I remember the the supporters were in the the far end of the stadium uh, from the the goal I scored. So um, I, I remember I had to run 60 yards over to, to celebrate with them. But that, that was a special moment. What was going through your mind is, I think it was uh, Fabrice Fernandez who was, was lining up that free kick. Are you just in the box going, I, I'm not going to get anywhere near this? Or do you go into the box thinking, I'm going to get on the end of it. This is it. It's going to happen now. Well, I, I saw the sort of, uh, the, yeah, Fabrice Fernandez free kick. Uh, I, I think I had a flick on from uh, Calvin Davis or uh, Calvin Phillips actually, 
and I read that pretty well and, and sort of sneaked in behind my, my marker and, uh, and, and sort of uh, slid the ball uh, like a tackle in, um, in the back of the net. So uh, it was just, uh, yeah, read, reading the sort of uh, the, the cross and, and, uh, and uh, acting sort of uh, like you uh, like you normally would do. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was very special. And uh, like I said, I, I think I was, uh, I was uh, a little bit in shock uh, for the first few seconds what happened. But you scored a couple of goals for your country as well, didn't you? Was that two in, in 40 appearances? So you were more prolific for, for country rather than club. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually scored uh, goal number 1,000 for Norway uh, uh, at home against Bosnia. So uh, so that was one for the, the history book. And there's been uh, a lot of talk around that goal because uh, I, I scored it with a, a special part of the body, sort of... Uh, Lower part of my, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but I didn't know that record was up for for grabs. So, uh, and I think, uh, uh, yeah, every, everyone was as surprised as I was to to score that goal. But it's always going to be there in the history book. But it's it's quite funny because. When I grew up and I won, when I went to Brandenburg and then in my, my sort of developing years, I I was always uh, an offensive player. I uh, I was an offensive uh, midfielder. I could play as a striker. I was sort of versatile of uh, where I could play and had sort of uh, abilities that wide. One of the nicknames I got pretty quickly was, was Silky. Uh, so, uh, and I think one of the reasons that Graham Soonis bought me was obviously having ability on the ball and, and sort of creating something going forward. I was just going to ask about, um, well, we'll get on to, to, to the modern day in just a moment, but Nick uh, Clifton said, um, who did you really not look forward to playing against for whatever reason? When you think back, was there an individual, when you saw them on the team sheet or in the tunnel, you just thought, oh no, here we go again. Yeah, not many. Uh, I sort of, uh, I loved uh, going up against the best strikers in the world every week. I, uh, I sort of, Emphasised that I, I, I really um, love that challenge of uh, of playing against uh, top international strikers every week, even though you got a lot of respect for their their ability and and what they can do. Um, so, uh, but obviously, I've been asked this question, yeah hundreds of times and and there's one player that I, I sort of never ever got really uh, any good control of that um, and that was Thierry Henry uh, I think he he was the player that uh, especially around those years around the cup final and uh, from 2000 to maybe 2005 six. He, he was, on his day, I would say unplayable because he, he had so much speed. He was uh, incredibly quick. Um, I'd, I'd love to play against big, strong strikers uh, because I was pretty quick myself. But to play against uh, a player like him, 
uh, that had had that ability uh, and being clever with pace, uh, that that was a nightmare. So, uh, and I, sh- I actually should have been sent off after thirty seconds in that uh, in that FA Cup final. And he reminded me uh, every time um, I we played against each other after that uh, of that incident. Uh, I changed shirts with him uh, the game after, and uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, I was very lucky. If he if he went down there, he, um, the referee must, must have sent me off." So uh, yeah, I was water skiing after his, uh, his shirt there for a while. There aren't many defenders that uh, can say they got the better or had a good game against Thierry Henry, to be fair. Um, Richard Cookson says, who was the best manager that you played under and why? There were a few. Yeah, there, there were a few. Um, I think I was under nine or ten uh, managers while I was there. Uh, I, I think I learned, and, uh, I learned something... Uh, from all of them uh, and and the approach of how to get the best out of uh, a squad of players, uh, how to treat uh, a dressing room, how to sort of approach uh, a group of uh, performing uh, players. And uh, uh, in, in, like I said, in a good and maybe in a not so such a good way, I, I learned some something from from all of them. Uh, I think uh, the best sort of years I had as a footballer, I think from uh, 2001 to 2005 uh, was probably my peak years. Um, and I have to mention Gordon Strachan, obviously taking us to to the FA Cup final uh, and having top two top ten finishers was uh, and and Gordon we uh, I love Gordon uh, because he uh, we hated him when when, when he came uh, we hated him with a passion because he ran us like every day um, and. Uh, Every Monday, every Tuesday, he never changed the program, regardless of, of uh, uh, how often we played. And, and uh, but we became an extremely well, uh, yeah, well gelled and and sort of really fit team. Uh, and I, I think those two years, Gordon was there. We, uh, yeah, we hardly made any any changes to uh, to the eleven. We had sort of. 13, 14 players that was really, really strong in their position. So uh, Gordon was probably the one I, I would pick as as uh, my manager for all all the uh, all the years I was there. But I learned so much from from many of them. Uh, and and Glenn Hoddle on the on the tactical side was fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, Harry Redknapp was. Uh, yeah, I, I loved Harry. He, he had this his own way to uh, treat a, a football club and, and players. Um, but I just feel privileged and uh, lucky to have learned so 
so much from so many different managers. I want to talk about some of the the, the guys that you played with as well. Monkhouse Pancakes says, uh, who was your favourite centre-back partner? Uh, again, there would have been a, a few over the years, weren't there? Um, obviously, Killer stands out for, for most of us. Uh, was there one that you enjoyed playing alongside? I enjoyed playing uh, alongside, I think, uh, every one of them. Uh, but I think the, the connection me and Michael Svensson had suited the team suited uh, the way of play we had uh really well we complemented each other really really well he was the the big sort of strong he he was yeah he, he was fearless um and really really hard and tough to play against and and for me to sort of sweep around him and read the game around him uh i think that was that was a really good partnership uh, for uh, for about two two and a half years. Uh, very unlucky for Michael; he had quite a few injuries. But um, I will have to mention Dean Richards as well. was was an unbelievable partner to have. Uh, rest in peace. And uh, Dina was uh, such a clever, uh, yeah, centre half, a way a way ahead of. Uh, the era we played in. Uh, Ken Monkow was there when I when I came. I had uh, quite a few games with him, um, and it also suited me pretty well because I, I I was the sort of playing centre half. I um, I read the game well and and sort of liked to have a big strong uh, partner next to me. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think. I formed pretty good partnerships with uh, quite a few uh, at my time, but um, choosing one, um, it, it it's going to be yeah the the butcher killer Michael. <laughs> I think a lot of people will agree with that too. So we had the highs of the the FA Cup final, and then of course after Gordon Strachan went, um, there was the the relegation that followed. Um, I just want to just touch on that a bit. Drew says, um, following the relegation, did you ever consider moving on from the club? And were there players in the team who wanted to leave but didn't? And and what sort of impact does that have on on the team environment? It's it's kind of pertinent to to what the club are going through at the moment too. Yeah, I think the uh, relegation season is is your worst nightmare as a footballer um, because you're, you're eager, you're, you've got so much pride in you and um, I was a senior, I think I was was captain uh, for most of that season um, but we, we, we formed a Unfortunately, we formed a, a sort of a disconnected uh, dressing room that season. We 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 had small cliques of, of players that were looking after themselves and and uh, not looking after the team. Um, and I remember I, I, I found it incredibly hard because as as a player going out there, you you wanna. You want to do your best. You want to play uh, uh, as good as you can for yourself. But if you don't have uh, players around you, you can rely on and, and sort of trust and, and, and be there for you. 
and this is as much as psychologically as it is uh, football-wise. Um, we we had too many players in that squad uh, that uh, wasn't team players, to put it that way. And uh, to get relegated and to be a senior player and to love the club as much as I do and I did at the time, and uh, it, it it it's it's extremely painful to put it that way. So. Um, but we we got relegated long before the the last game uh, home against Manu. Um, uh, even though we we had a chance uh, towards the last few games, we um, yeah we we had a disconnection in in the dressing room that uh, it's uh, it's never gonna be it's never going to be good for for performance picture the scene all of your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go partner this with your team playing champagne football perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app there's nothing quite like a mcdelivery at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com the talksport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And that season, the following season after the relegation, I think, was that the one where the injuries started to creep in for yourself? That must have been quite a frustrating time because a player like you is just going to want to get out on the pitch and, and, and make it good and, and get the club back up again. And and if you suddenly find that the, the injuries are creeping in, it, it must be a really difficult time for you. Yeah, obviously it was, uh, it was very difficult to uh, to sort of turn turn around and, and uh, accept that we got relegated for one uh, that was tough enough to uh concentrate now we were in the in the championship and and probably to to perform in the championship it i would say it's it's one of the toughest leagues in the world without a doubt uh, so so that was very very hard but like you said yes i um i got a really bad ankle injury uh, during that first season in the championship, uh, which I, uh, which ended my career. Uh, end of the day, even though I, I, I managed to uh, sort of uh, nearly come back. I will never forget that moment when the tendon in my ankle snapped again, and I knew, I knew my career was over. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, they, obviously, uh, when when you when you get hit by uh, bad injuries, and and uh, it, for me it was so painful because to not be involved, to not be able to help the team, uh, I hated it. I, it was the worst feeling in in the world for me. So uh, uh, so. Yeah, the last 
couple of seasons was very very difficult mentally for me as well not being able to uh, to to come back on on that level that i wanted uh, maybe i had two maximum two years uh, in me uh, i was 35 at the time uh, but also going back a few years when i had a couple of offers to to leave the club um uh, it's another sort of thing that people might don't know but uh serious offers from from newcastle when i was sort of uh 32 i'd uh, I am incredibly proud and, and happy that I, I stayed uh, and, and become a one, one club player. Uh, when I look back today, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of, of being, being a saint through and through. Um, so uh, so uh, and that's why when i come back like last week it's 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 like coming home and it's 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 for me to yeah you spend 14 years in the country when you've been looked after uh, like i said like a family club and and the, the fans has been unbelievable to me and yeah that that was also one of the most sort of emotional uh games and moments in my life was to come back one last time and play that testimonial game against Celtic because that was yeah like like you said that I hit that bad ankle injury and and I knew uh, my career was over but to come back one last time to uh, to thank the club the, the city and and the supporters for giving me all that support for so many years was was uh yeah i've never been so nervous for a game ever uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was that was a very very emotional special night to to uh be able to say thank you to uh to the club to the supporters who's uh, who's who was there for me for so many years. There was a few people that said, uh, can you ask Klaus about his most memorable match at St Mary's? I guess probably the testimonial with uh, with Gordon Strachan bringing a team back and, and so many of your former colleagues and, and friends on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, it was the testimonial game, even though it was no uh, competitive, even though Gordon Strachan with Celtic wanted it to be a, a sort of a, a friendly that, they they could get something out of um we uh we put the best side out obviously uh to begin with and and uh yeah try to to make a, a good game of it uh and with my pain and uh sort of uh my ankle uh i had to settle for the last sort of uh, 12 uh, 15 minutes, I think I was able to play. Uh, drugged myself down on painkillers, and uh, but to to be be able to come out there for one last time, and and then reunite with Michael, uh, with Matt, with all the, the the main sort of we 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 had a cluster of players uh, around those years with with uh, Matt Letizia, Jason Dodd, Francis Benali me who who had testimonials after each other uh, and that's that's some something I, 
I don't think ever going to happen again to to uh, see that sort of loyalty to to one club. So uh, so that was yeah uh, a very very special uh, emotional night at, at St Mary's. But uh, I also have fantastic memories from from the Dell and some unbelievable great escapes and and the game against Man Man U six uh, three win and. Yeah, the the fairy tale of 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 Matt Matt's last uh, goal uh, and the story behind that. I don't know if you heard it, but I uh, I promised him a, a case of Malibu and a case of Coke if uh, he won the game for us. And uh, and uh, Monday morning I was there delivering it. So because I had a a top ten finish bonus in my contract, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, but that that couldn't have been written any better. It was like a fairy tale that he came on and and finished that game and won it for us. But didn't Chris Marsden nearly take the ball off of his toe? It, there was somebody else, wasn't there, queuing up yeah. to to hit it if yeah, he hadn't right. done it. So, so it could have been slightly different. <laughs> it could have been, but I'm very lucky that Matt was the one who finished that, and not Chris Marsden. <laughs> Um, Phil got in touch to say, um, how did you cope with the, the difficulties you experienced after retiring from football? I think this is quite well documented and I know you, you've spoken about it at length, but to go from from all those highs to, to struggle with the, the injuries and then to, to not be playing, it, it must be such a, a drop um, and it's got to be really difficult for you to, to get your head around. Yeah, it's it, it's something that obviously I've I've written a book about. I've written. I've sort of I, I still uh, travel the country and and speak about my career, uh, my ups and downs, and and obviously my my addiction. Um, uh, and I think uh, at the time, uh, like I said, I was I was so involved, so. Uh, incredibly, um, what should I say? Uh, involved with with the uh, the performance of 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 the club, being club captain at the time, and and uh, and when you lose when you lose the dressing room and you lose um, the the sort of uh, waking up every morning to uh, to drive into your mates to. Uh, to train with every day and and uh, you lose your life you lose everything I had since I was yeah 14 years old uh, and and even though I thought I was well prepared for uh, retirement uh, I was 35 at the time and uh, I had had plans but I think I said something very stupid. To myself at the time and that was that i i should just enjoy life now for for a year um travel and and yeah uh, enjoy life um because uh, i found it very lonely because all my teammates was obviously involved in football other friends was working and and i found myself yeah uh, on my own uh, but but losing that sense of purpose, that sense of belonging uh, to that dressing room, to um, 
to what I knew. Uh, that was a, a grieving process and a, um, a loss that I, I, I dealt really, really bad with. And I, I went into deep depression um, slowly but surely. Ironically, I, I had everything. I, I had a great family, a wonderful wife, two great kids. Uh, I had a wonderful house, three cars, a speedboat in Miami. I had a sailboat just just down here. I, I had everything, millions in the bank. I had everything, but I was incredibly depressed, and and I couldn't. I couldn't shake it. I, I couldn't. Um, I found it. I, I've described it as as going into sort of a a black hole uh, because I, I lost what I I lost the meaning of what I loved the most in in my life, and that was performing together with uh, my team, my uh, my mates, um, and. Uh, yeah, the 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 years that came after my retirement, I uh, I wouldn't sort of put on my worst ever enemy um, because that was so incredibly painful and difficult. Um, and uh, yeah, to sit here today, obviously, uh, I'm I'm very very thankful grateful uh appreciative of of everything i've achieved as a footballer but i think that the the, the toughest uh, match i've ever had to play was to fight the addiction to fight for my life because uh pretty quickly inside a year after i retire i uh, i woke up every morning drinking half a bottle of vodka just to function and that um, that hit me inside a year because I lost what I loved the most and that depression uh, that I, I couldn't shake and I, I didn't I didn't know where I would get help um, because all of a sudden I was just I was just lost on my own um, and that's why I'm sort of trying to be a role model of, of explaining this and helping sort of the Norwegian FA and clubs that I've been involved with um, and this is also the reason I wrote the book about uh, when you've been in that sort of professional life being such a strong figure that an egocentric person everyone looks up to uh for me it took quite a few years to break that down because i needed myself to get vulnerable and actually uh accept that i was in a bad way and that took some time and um and it became a pretty quickly a, a fight of life and death uh because uh the alcohol and the pres prescription drugs uh, and and after a while a lot of cocaine a lot of everything that 
yeah, uh, it should have killed me. Uh, I had a heart attack, and I've, I've, I've tried to kill myself twice uh, after failing because I, I <laughs> after I become sober for the first time after three years, uh, thanks to uh, obviously uh, Tony Adams and his good friend uh, Peter Kay, rest in peace. He uh, he died a few years back. I, I managed to get treatment, uh, but I knew very, very little of uh, how to live my life without uh, any drugs, any alcohol. So uh, it's it's been a roller coaster, uh, and then to to fail after you promise you're never going to drink or or uh, yeah again uh, to a whole country that sort of uh, yeah, it was impossible to to deal with, and uh, so I'm I'm very very humble today that I um, I've managed to uh, come through and 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 learn enough about addiction, enough about my triggers, my sort of uh, approach to life, because. Yeah, I, I was chasing something new and better all my life, and that's that's just impossible. So to to uh, to find a different uh, sort of perspective of what's important in life, uh, yeah, even though it took me many many years, it's uh, it's actually the the small things. It's actually the day to day uh small things that that really matters and uh um but like i said uh, i'm lucky to be alive i'm, I'm <laughs> but it's it's probably meant to be i'm uh, i'm incredibly grateful that i can share my story and, and help others and and like i said travel the country and, and speak about this to to uh to young people to to youth clubs to uh players that really want to be good uh, i think they yeah they deserve to to hear that uh, it, it's not only a, uh, a sort of what what you see in the papers and why it, it's a lot of money it's it's a lot of fast cars and, and holidays and whatever uh, there, there's something behind it that's uh, it's not that uh, yeah uh, nice that people think and obviously use of opiates and and, and things like that um, I've been through 16 operations 15 of them has been football related uh, operations and that that sort of also gave me the taste of of morphine of, of sort of yeah strong painkillers and but it was nothing that I sort of thought about at the time but um yeah um it hit me bad later and uh, uh but like i said that the the sort of uh loss of what i loved the most uh was gone and, and i think that was the re the, the yeah the one of the biggest reasons that i uh, i sort of hit um uh, i hit problems 
has the support network for players changed now? Is is the game in a better place? I was going to say, you know, what advice would you have for players that are approaching the the end of their career? Because there must be others who have gone through the same as you and haven't perhaps been as open and as honest uh, and not shared their stories like you have. So, um, is, is is there a better network now? Is the game in a better place because of of players like you that have shared your stories and, and written the book and the work that you've done with addiction and, and mental health? Um, yes. Um, the clubs are better. The um, the FAs are better. Uh, they got more focus on on this on mental health. I've been self working in the mental health and and uh, a psychiatry hospital for six years, and and uh, it's uh, it's in uh, football and and pro pro football pro uh, anything. It's it's got better when it comes to uh talking about mental health and and addiction but we got a long way to go uh it's still uh, a lot of stigma there it's just it's still a lot of taboo to talk about these things to to show your vulnerability your sort of uh break down that that sort of uh yeah ego of of admitting to yourself and uh, and your surroundings you you got a problem but I, I do think um, the clubs and um, has has done a better job. Uh, but like I said, I would like to have seen uh, uh, more being done uh, when it comes to preparing players for retirement. Uh, if you're lucky, you you play maybe to you 35, 40, uh, and you still got yeah 30, 40, 50 years to live, and and uh, it, it's difficult because the the adrenaline kick you you get and the sort of uh, lifestyle you live as a professional footballer, running out to 30 to 80 thousand people every day, the adrenaline kick you never gonna you never gonna recreate. Uh, so. So to have, for a start, uh, something to wake up to, something meaningful to go to, uh, a network uh, of friends, a network of, of uh, yeah, um, be able to uh, create meaning uh, is, is, is something I think for all of us is, is incredible incredibly important but for us as uh when when you for me played professional football for 20 years and and then all of a sudden everything's finished and and for me i felt alone i felt lonely and uh drink and partying became more and more of of my life um i think more guidance more sort of knowledge into that sort of uh, approach uh, should should be provided by clubs, but it's it's, it's tough to talk about mental health and uh, addiction is 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 difficult to talk about, especially for us big strong men. Um, that's why I used a long time to to hold both my hands uh, over my head and ask for help. So. Um, um, but to have somewhere in a club 
where you can knock on a door and and uh, actually say I'm I'm not feeling great I'm I'm having problems um, because we all gonna hit some problems during our lives um, uh, that will be incredibly helpful to have that openness in in the club even in a professional Premier League club. I'd like to talk a bit more about the the modern game um, and, and kind of bring it back to Southampton. Alistair says, as a defender, does Klaus think that he would have enjoyed having VAR? He says, I'm sure there are plenty of incorrect decisions that went against his defence over the years. Would he have preferred it or would you be happy to go old school? Are we back to that FA Cup final again and what VAR might have made of that? Well, I think that would... Uh, uh, if that was later in the game, he must have sent me off. Um, but it's difficult. Uh, I think VAR is 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 um, it's come. Yeah, it's going to stay in football, and I think it's it's uh, it's a tool that is uh, is good for certain situations. Uh, I think obviously when when it comes to if the ball is in or, or out of the goal or, or, or crucial sort of uh, incidents, um, uh, VAR is good. The, the sort of sad thing about it, I feel today watching football or watching uh, watching the game today is it's obviously the time of of uh, what they use, uh, mm, and also yeah. uh, you can sort of only half celebrate if you're sort of waiting for a, yeah. uh, a, a situation it could be anything in uh, in the box or a, an offside or whatever so that that sort of immediate response of a goal um, yeah that's uh, it's a little bit taken away but um, I think VAR is is, is there to stay Um but it, it is difficult. I think it's difficult for the referees as well. Uh, but it's uh, I do believe it's it's gonna hopefully improve and and uh, it will take some time to adapt to. It's not a problem that we currently have, of course, um, at Southampton. Um, what have you made of of the season so far and the new manager coming in and and in particular the new style of play? Do you still get to follow the club as, as much and see as, as many of the games as perhaps you used to? Yeah, I follow as much as I can. Obviously, uh, from uh, from Norway. Obviously, now with uh, with me, with my new uh, business venture, is I'm going to be over a lot more. Uh, but what I've seen this season, obviously after Martin came in, it's um, it's uh, actually the Birmingham game when I uh, was there watching it live uh, is probably on a whole the best game I've seen of them whole season. Uh, that especially that first half was was uh, was incredibly uh, good, um, and I think. We're starting to see the team gelling now. The, the the team trusting each other to to play that style. Russell Martin want to play is is um, yeah. You need a lot of trust in each other to play that way, and uh, and ability and obviously confidence to uh, to roll the ball around like you see City in their own five six six yard boxes is. It, it, it takes some time, 
but I think it's the right way to play football. I think it's the the most sort of uh, the best way to educate footballers. The, the best teams play like this, but it will take time. But what I can see now in the last few games is is prom- promising signs of players gelling together and 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 connect. There's connections there uh, that. Is starting to to gel and uh, so um, yeah, I um, I feel pretty confident now. They uh, they should have um, a squad of players that I'll be very very disappointed if they if they're not top six and uh, hopefully pushing on to. Uh, I do think uh, the top two at the yeah Leicester and Ipswich is gonna gonna hit a bad spell. Uh, at some stage, and uh, we uh, we should be up there with the squad of players we have, and and uh, it's looked a bit naive, it's looked dangerous, it's looked sort of uh, vulnerable, and and yes, it is, but that's the downside of uh, achieving what he wants to want us to to uh, play football. Kate says, um, how well does Klaus think he would have coped with that current style, those short passes around the six-yard box with the strikers waiting to pounce? Would that have been fun? Or do you watch it and go, that's that's not my cup of tea, that, that's not for me? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. That's, uh, I think that was the main reason Graham Sooners uh, brought me to Southampton. That was exactly my ability on the ball to uh, to be able to Take the ball uh, a step forward to create, uh, obviously, uh, uh, yeah, a situation where we can uh, we can overload uh, in midfield, and and, um, and if you look at the game today, that's that's how it should should be played. So, uh, and the centre half uh, today must have that ability. So. Um, for me at the time, I, I loved it and would have loved to play in, uh, in today's football. Mm. So you mentioned you were back in Southampton. There's the, the new business venture. You're now running Born Supporter. Just tell us a bit about this and, and how it all came about because it, it's something that I wasn't expecting from you, but it's a great product and I think you've really identified a, a gap in the market. Yeah, we have. Uh, and I think it's. Uh, I was approached about three years ago uh, by... Uh, uh actually i didn't know him at the time but he um he was a well-known uh financial businessman in, in norway he was behind uh, a few very successful startup companies uh he, he approached me with this product uh, called born supporter who was uh, a poster of um uh one-to-one scale baby uh, a birth cert- certificate of uh, obviously uh, your baby uh, form in a one-to-one scale, um, and the idea grew on me, and uh, we we had used a couple of years of of developing the the product because it's it's a bit of art in the product is it's it's not a face on it, it's um, eight different designs on it, so. Um, it, it's uh, and then we started to approach uh, some of the clubs and and the feedback we got was was incredible. It was uh, they love the product, they love the sort of idea of 
of curating a, a birth poster that is, is uh, where where you obviously you wanna uh, when you get a child and, and I'm a lucky father of two girls uh, and I've, I've even they're 20 and 24 I've made posters of them and and, and sort of the memories of how small they were when they became a Saint supporter. Um, so it's not only for newborns; it's it's for for everyone. But um, it it's it's a uh, it's a very very professional product. It's printed on uh, fine art sort of paper. It's obviously brand uh, guidelines, uh, logos, crests, everything. It's an official club product, um, so uh, it's it's a product that we spend a lot of time developing. Um, but we are very proud of it and very happy with uh, where we are now and sort of approaching. We already got uh, five five uh, clubs involved. Could have chosen to uh, go to a few more, but we. We we've been waiting for this Southampton launch for uh, for for a long long time, and we are yeah a few few months delayed uh, in the process. Um, so uh, now it's hopefully everything will uh, will kick off, and uh, people will uh, recognize the the product as a quality product, as obviously a, a official club product with. Uh, uh, which they will see around the supporter shop and, and hopefully around uh, a few homes on on the walls of uh, of newborn families. So, so it's it's uh, in the shop. The club have taken it in, in the shop, haven't they? I know they've opened an extra shop. For, yeah, for they, and it's available online. Yes, we uh, we have a, a website called bornsupporter.com um, where you can. Uh, it's a uh, uh obviously that's where you make uh your poster and uh, one-to-one scale uh, and it, it's print on demand uh at the moment we uh we have sent posters to southampton where they're going to have them in the support store uh with a qr code where they can go straight to the the website and uh, and create their poster so uh and like I said, there's there's eight different designs, and we got four different uh, frames you can choose. So um, yeah, it's it's a venture that we've been working, especially the last year, very very hard on. Uh, and now to to sign long term deals with uh, with big clubs, um, it's um, it's great because there's there's nothing like it in in the market, and I think the clubs recognise that as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, you very kindly said that we can give away a Saints-born supporter poster to somebody in the, the TSP community. So make sure you follow us. It's at Total Saints Pod for Facebook and for Twitter and at Total Saints Podcast on Instagram. We're going to share those competition details soon. Um, Klaus, before we let you go, just final thoughts, message for, for Saints fans that are watching or or listening to this, um, your, your thoughts on the season and, and just in general. Well, um, it was absolutely magic to uh, see so many Saints uh, fans again last weekend against Birmingham at, at home. Uh, in general, to come back to Southampton is like coming home to me. So it's, yeah, always great to uh, reconnect to, to the fans. And like 
like I said early on, uh, what would we be without the fans? Um, so, and and Southampton fans is, is is incredibly loyal to the club, and um, yeah, I will uh, love them for the rest of my lives and what they've given me of support over so many years. I will never ever forget. So, uh, I love them dearly. It's been great catching up. Klaus Lundetbaum, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. So as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, TSP is fully supported by our Patreon community. And if you're interested in joining us on Patreon with a monthly contribution, just visit patreon.com forward slash Total Saints podcast. Don't forget, you can follow the Total Saints podcast on Facebook and Twitter. It's at Total Saints pod. We're also on Instagram and threads where it's at Total Saints podcast. We live stream the podcast every Sunday evening at 7.15 UK time to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and Twitch. So if you're finding us for the first time, we hope to see you there on Sunday night. We also love to hear from you throughout the week. So drop us a DM on any of the socials, or you can email us via the website if you have something to share. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you again next time. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.